The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome. It's so good to be back from our new series of shows for 2015. And what a show we have for you today. We, being me and my guest, Doug Pitt. Yambo, Doug. Yambo, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. That's Swahili. Is that high? It's, yeah, it's a hello, it's a welcome, it can be goodbye, a number of things, yeah. Now, is that what you say when you're meeting the uh, Maasai, when you walk up to them? Do you say Yambo? Uh, a lot of times, yeah. But you actually it, probably know more words than that. Um, you know, I'll butcher it like anybody else, but yes, yeah, so I, I can I can get through most of the, I'd say, the top 20. So. It is so good to have you on today. I, I think that our it. listeners are going to be pretty blown away about all that you have done. Um, so where are you today? So I, my home is in Springfield, Missouri. So you're in Springfield today? Yes. And how long have you lived there? Oh, gosh, I've been a Missouri guy all my life, and in Springfield, most of it. So 48 now, and I'd say 45 of it here. Oh, so you weren't born in Springfield? St. Louis, so like St. I said, Louis. Missouri guy. Well, um, so let's just get started kind of um, from the beginning, I guess. You have such an incredible resume. Um, it's kind of beyond my comprehension for what you've done in 48 years because I'm 51 and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you've done so much. So um, you're born and raised in Missouri and uh, you're, the, you're the middle child, right? That's correct. <laughs> what was it like being the middle child growing up? Great childhood, you know, first, last, middle. I guess it's all relative. Well, that's great that you feel that way. I read that you were saying you kind of had a Rockwell childhood growing up. Oh, no question. Did. Uh, great parents, great family, great family support. And uh, no, I feel very, very lucky. Yeah, very, very blessed, actually. Um, so you went to high school where? A place called Kickapoo. Kickapoo, Indian, that's how you Indian tribe it. name. So we're uh, a lot of Indian tribes through the Midwest here. So, yes. You know, when I, I saw that um, some things about your company and it said the Miami Indians or something like that, I was going to ask you more about that. My husband's from Oklahoma. So, you know, and his uh, we have family on, on his side that's um, Native American Indians, Creek Indians. So I, was, I thought that was kind of cool. I didn't know that Missouri had a lot of Indians. Well, and again, we're more, and I have family all over Oklahoma as well. And, uh, but I actually, I've had a computer company for the last well, it would have been 23 years, now 24, and I actually have sold uh, a majority stake to an Indian tribe. And, so it was uh, actually know. to a tribe? Yes, it was. Uh-huh. It, now, that is cool. I, I think that is so cool because I think a lot of people don't even know that they run companies. You know, a lot of oh, people may they think they run casinos. very, very big companies. Very, <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah, no, very a lot big of times companies. they get known for gambling or, you know, casinos, those kind of things. But, no, they're highly, highly diversified. Very sophisticated. So how did you get into being from Kickapoo High School? Did you know what you wanted to go into? Oh, shoot. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Isn't that true? I yeah. think that um, – so how did you end up going into computers? A true story. I was a year out of college, and uh, I'd been working with an entrepreneur on a project, and, and I just knew I wanted to go into business for myself. And you know, This was back in 1991, so um, – Computers obviously were the the future, but it was you know still back in the DOS days. If, if, if half these listeners may not even know what that is, but um, you know pre Windows, pre Internet, pre a lot of things that we know of computers today. And and, and true story, I couldn't even turn one on. Didn't know anything about them. I just knew it was the future. So 
I hired a bunch of smart guys, borrowed some money from my parents, and um, it worked. So what did you major in in college? I was actually a communication major. And, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it wasn't, uh, it was more just a, something I was looking for to get in um, long-term, something for myself. And I looked at a number of different business ideas, and I just, for some reason, something said computers, and uh, it's a good choice. Well, yeah, I, I graduated in 84, and, uh, you know, it was, um, I did the computer lab that they started halfway through college. And it was very much uh, the very beginning. And, but it was the, you know, that was the area to go into. It really was. I was a math major. That sounds crazy, but um, I had, I had no idea. I just started interviewing, you know, uh, my senior year for anyone that would interview me. So I didn't know either. But you actually majored in communication. So what were you thinking in college that you were going to go into? You know, I started out actually as a pre med major and, and about, Two years into it, just realized this isn't going to be me, and uh, I actually went to L.A. just for a, a month over the summer and ended up staying about six months and had a blast and then decided I just I need to get back and get school finished. And uh, honestly, what, kind of what made the most sense for a quick exit in communications was it. So I can't say I, I uh, would, you know, I have three kids and two in college and one in college next year, so... Basically, I said, don't do what I did, and uh, I would not recommend people do it that way. But anyway. You wouldn't recommend communications major or? No, no, uh, no, I wouldn't. Get involved. Say, enjoy your college experience, and and I didn't. I really just kind of, I needed the degree, wanted it, but uh, um, just uh, I didn't enjoy the full experience. Did you study a lot? Uh, that could have been part of the problem, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I made decent grades. It was fine. It's just, um, I don't know. I was just ready for the next phase, whatever the next phase was, even though I didn't really know what it was. So you weren't, so you didn't, you didn't enjoy the college experience too much. Is that what you mean? Oh, you didn't really no, get involved? I kind of treated it like a job and, and, uh, I'm thrilled my, my kids are socially involved in college and, and, uh, enjoying it, uh, Life's too short. There's you got all the time in the world to get in the business world, and you know obviously they need to make good grades and, and are working towards whatever that life pursuit is. But you know really a lot of the education is just finding out who you are at that age, and and uh, you know that's that's a, much of the goal. You know I, I you're so right about that. It's the college experience of you know it is experience when you're in college as far as going to class and um doing the homework and you know graduating from college shows a lot about you even if it, it's not really about what you majored in so much and uh growing up and being on your own and how well you handled that and so you're right about that and i i think that you know for me i was in a hurry to get out and um so I took it like a job, too. A lot of my friends did, and I think my values were just a little different. But I was pretty serious about school and got out when I was barely 20. And uh, I tell my kids all the time, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you rush through. People don't ask you what year you graduated, you know, and you just need to follow your passion, take it serious, and enjoy it. So that's good to hear you say that, that you're not as stressed out with your kids you know, again, uh, if I'm paying for something, I want a, a return on investment, and uh, that goes for anything. So obviously the grades have to be there, but as long as they are, heck yeah, uh, figure it out. So And they are. Okay, so you got out. You went to, oh, no, while you were in school, you went to California. Yeah, about halfway through. Yeah, took a semester off, and not by design. It was just, um, just the way it worked out, but it was great. So it changed your life, huh? I don't know if it changed my life. It's, um, you know, I've always been kind of a independent guy, and uh, it was a good time. Um, just enjoyed it, different culture. and Heck, I was by myself a lot and just working, and, but really enjoyed the experience. But something in me just said, uh, that play's over. Go finish school. So that's what we did. Mm. California for me was such a change being from Arkansas. I went out there because my husband went to Pepperdine to law school. And for me, it was, I mean, I was working um, on Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica uh, for a MSA, which is kind of like done, done in, uh, done, they're done in Bradstreet now. But um, 
I got off at five. I had so much fun. I was like a tourist, you know, seeing the dolphins and going well watching and going to Universal Studios and going to game shows, taking all my friends when they came to visit to try out for game shows. Everybody there that worked with me, a lot of them were from there. And they were like, you're such a tourist. You're doing all these tourist things. I was like, yeah, I'm having a blast. And so for me, I had never seen such beauty. And I just loved the weather. And when I was heading back this way, I thought, what am I doing? (laughs) The scenery is just not as beautiful. I get it. I'm a big fan. It is quite different from Missouri. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, it is for sure. So you went in. So you ended up hiring people, and I was reading you. You hired people that knew computers and that were really smart. So did you run the company? Not necessarily do computers yourself. Oh gosh, no. I was, I was all in and uh, just lived it like you do. And uh, if you want to survive and make it, so no, got up early, stayed up late, and just uh, basically checked out the first ten years. Um, Nope, that's what it takes to run a business if you want to be successful. So, no, I was, uh, we we do a lot of networking and router switching and security and those kind of things. And it was interesting. Um, and uh, obviously that uh, industry's evolved, um, gosh, leaps and bounds. But, nope, I was, uh, I was all in. Yeah, leaps and bounds. So when did you meet your wife? We actually went to middle school and high school together. She was a year older. Um, obviously, you don't date a younger guy in high school. So we were just good friends and uh, actually met. Um, she had just graduated um, from college, and I, think, I can't remember if I had a year left or close, but uh, just met back up, started dating, and, and, uh, and it'll be 25 years this year and three kids. So it worked so out. What did, she, what did she major in? She's actually uh, element. She was a school teacher, so elementary ed, and um, she's an adjunct professor at two of our universities here in Springfield now. Wow! So did she actually become a teacher in elementary ed? She was, yeah. For in fact, when we were married for about till we had kids, she was a uh, yeah. She did third grade and fifth grade. Wow, that takes a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, not my so calling. You, no, but you married a very patient person. At least she started out that way. Um, That's right. Being a professor is really cool. So she's still yeah. a professor? Yeah, she is. And uh, she really enjoys the college ranks now. So kind of 180 so, of the spectrum. Is she smarter than you? <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask her, I guess. We each have our own skill set. How about that? Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of intimidating me. I'm married to a professor, a retired professor. So I always kid around about that, that he has a PhD, but I'm smarter. <laughs> he, and he's so sweet. He'll be like, yeah. So it's I'm the really... business guy of the family, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you ran a computer company um, for how long? Like I said, I, well, I still do today. Um, we, I sold to the tribe and actually to a group uh, out of St. Louis and uh, who was about 10 times my size. And so in Springfield, we have a division here, and they still report to me. And so I'm still involved. And um but uh, I, I sold a portion of it actually about six years ago and then sold the remainder a year, year and a half ago, something like that. So kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, got to uh, sell, but then also get still involved and, and be around my employees. And just uh, got a lot more things buying for my time than I used to. I saw that you sold to the, now that it says the Miami tribe. So are there Miami Indians? That is the Miami Nation uh, tribe is what it is out of Miami, Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah, so. Wow, that's really cool. I think a lot of people don't know that. So you sold to them. Now, TSI, that's who you're working with now, right? Yes, that's the group out of, uh, so what happened was TSI is in St. Louis. And uh, I had a I had another company with uh, one of the the president of TSI, and so we merged that company, my computer company, and TSI all into one, with the tribe coming in as the majority shareholder. So kind of a little family of companies that came together. Wow! Yeah, that sounds really wonderful. So yeah, and it works. Yeah, and it works. So your family, you have uh, three children. I do. Um, and you're running all these companies, and yet you still had time with them, huh? 
my, those are my priorities. So, you know, you got to figure that out when you're in. And I would hope when you're younger and, you know, you don't maybe have more as much disposable income, you're kind of a, a prisoner to your job and so you've got to figure it out. So, you know, my deal was I'm home by dinner. I'm always going to have dinner with family and I'm going to put it away till they go to bed. And then, you know, if I have to stay up, Another hour, fine. If I have to stay up another five, fine. But um, I need to be able to hit that morning running and, and caught up. So that was just kind of my deal. And uh, my wife and I both, that was, the, was just kind of how we did it. And, uh, you know, weekends were theirs until, you know, and again, when you're running your own company, sometimes you don't have these luxuries and your time does get dictated and you got to do what you got to do. But as a rule, that's what we tried to do. And then kind of 9 o'clock on Sunday night, kind of get your game face back on and get ready for the next day. And it's really something I did for the last 15 years and then uh, our 15 years of my company. In the last decade, obviously, I've had to uh, work a little bit more at my own choosing and pace as obviously the company did better. And uh, really some of my in- interests got you know more diversified. I think that people, you know, I think hearing that you have to put in, because you said, 10 years in the beginning, 10 years just kind of zoomed by, um, putting in a lot of hours. But yet you still made it a priority to, to have dinner with your kids and family. No, to each his own. But um, why am I doing all of this? <laughs> you know, if I do, if I, it was for my family. And um, it's it's tough balance. It's easy to say. Um, every, you know, most people want to do right by their family. But it's tough running a business. It's running a business, working, you know, a lot of life struggles. So I uh, just was on the good side of it that my business worked, and I'm thrilled for that. But, uh, nope, all I know is work. And, uh, but uh, it's, like I said, you just try to prioritize and, and figure out uh, what's meaningful to you and, and keep it fun. I'm, I'm having fun right now. Yeah, I'm fine still. That's really good. Well, and you do so much. Obviously, I would think you don't get bored. <laughs> Bored's not a problem. Bored's not a problem. Well, and you have an incredible work ethic. And I think that um, starting out, you know, you just it's, it's good to um, have a balance with your family. Just so many people do have a hard time figuring out how to do that and, and not get lost in all of it and kind of lose focus on what what you wanted early on, what your dreams were, you know, you get married, you love your wife and you love your spouse and you're so excited to be together. And then you have kids, but you also, I mean, career is really exciting too. And so, you know, I think I dream more now than I did then because really what's in front of you, a mortgage and kids growing up and kids sports and no, your business is young and your work life's young and just trying to figure it out. You know, you really you kind of already have some guardrails and, you just got to keep doing what you're doing just to kind of feed the machine. But it's later on where, you know, you you have some disposable income and time and, and uh, you're not quite uh, as much a prisoner to that. Uh, now's the time to dream. I, I think that's why I'm having fun now. When did you start getting into um, the philanthropy? Because uh, I saw that you in the early on, it was big brothers and big sisters you got involved in. Yeah, true, true story. Um, you know, I was probably three, four years into my business, and, um, you know, I'm pretty green, honestly. Um, you know, how do you sell? You pick up a phone book and a phone, and you just start calling. I mean, that's really kind of what I thought or knew and did that for the first year, few years. And um, But then when I was asked to, to serve on Big Brothers Big Sisters, it was my first board. And, you know, they had a board of about 30 people, and... It was really kind of a just an amazing win-win. I get to spend time with, get to know 30 people extremely well. I get to help kids. I get to help this great organization. And, oh, by the way, I'm not having to sell to these people. They just want to do business with me. I want to do business with them. Why? Because you know them. You trust them. You know, it's half of that sales process is getting somebody to, to find the value in you, and that's, that's that was already done. So it ended up being very good for my business, and uh, and again, I just <laughs> I loved the mission of what it was. So I joined another board, another board, and really, you know, it's you know, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. And you know, I did make one 
mistake. I got asked to serve on a national park board, and I I did it because of who the board was, the people on there, and it wasn't about the mission. And uh, I just, I don't know, it felt icky to me. And about four or five months into it, I resigned, which was kind of embarrassing because I was new. But the deal was, you need people on your boards who who are passionate about what you do, and and me taking up a space just because of a prestigious board and really more of my professional goals was uh it's wrong it's it's absolutely wrong so for but for me getting being involved with some of those boards early on in charities uh where I like the kid thing that spoke to me uh that was the win win and so I'd highly recommend to anybody that it's uh that it's still today the best advertising you can do for your business and and um that's a great way to give back to your community. So Elevate you, Now, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just was wondering if you learned about that from the Chamber of Commerce when you were in, or where did you find out about the board and meet these people? Well, again, when you're out selling and trying to promote your business, um, you know, that's what you do. You just got to put yourself out there. And uh, so through personal relationships, that's how I was building my company and got really involved in our local Chamber of Commerce and uh, I like business. I like uh, I like interacting with other business people. I like hearing the stories and the dialogue, and um, those are things I did early as a business person. I would call up random bit successful business people just to have coffee. I just wanted to sit down with you and talk. Uh, what'd you do right? What'd you do wrong? When you and just wanted to hear their stories, and um, so I've always been real in- intrigued. Like you know. Shoot, even today, I do two to three books or audio books a month and all nonfiction, and I just love biographies. Um, I like to hear the stories and random. It can be rock stars to politicians to world leaders to inventors. Um, I just, um, I like, um, I don't know, I'm just intrigued how people get to success from in the thought process and just how they dealt with it, their personality quirks, how those work for them, how those work against them, and um, that's, that still kind of rings true to me today. That is so good to hear. You're a curious soul about people. You're intrigued by them and want to know all about them. I think that people, it's good for people to hear that because that is the skills that people pick up when they're like that. They just watch and they learn and they just drink up the information. And uh, I, when I look back on everything I learned from all this incredible people I've been around, I realized that um, I was so interested and intrigued by their success or whatever they did well, and I just wanted to learn. I mean, people do well in so many different kinds of areas that you almost can't stop learning from them. And it sounds like uh, you just soaked that up. You know, early on, it was really more about uh, if I could learn from others' mistakes than if I could avoid those, how much further can I progress? And uh, it's not so much that way anymore. Now I'm just intrigued by the personalities and, and really kind of uh, really how to overcoming themselves to be successful. I think that's what it is a lot of time. But so really, that's kind of the how I morphed into the philanthropy gig and um, as as I had a little bit more time, um, you know, these certain things choose you. And I think at this phase, that's kind of what it is. I want to do those things that really speak to me and call out to me. And Africa did. Um, the same thing happened with our Care to Learn charity. And and uh, like a business, you can't be all things to all people. you got to focus in. And so I focused in on uh, three different thing, charities, and, and I really I don't budge outside of those very much anymore. Yes, I saw from your um, the fact that you were with Big Brothers and Big Sisters and Make-A-Wish and Easter Seals. So much of what you've done is you can tell that you were very much um, motivated by helping children. And, um, and, and it kind of seemed so natural for you to get into the care to learn. There's so much about your philanthropy and the things that you have done in your volunteering and helping out and uh, raising money. We want to get into that, but we are going to take a break. And when we come back, I, I, I just can't wait to get to the Kilimanjaro. I mean, that's just blown me away because I have a friend who tried to climb Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and he, he wasn't successful the first time. And so uh, I, I look forward to coming back and talking with you all about that. We'll talk to you soon.
Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled, fantasies unrealized, and relationships become stagnant. Men are desperate today for a richer, deeper, more satisfying, and intimate marriage. Dr. Jim Slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate, fulfilling marriage they've always wanted. Call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be. It's time to take a fresh look at your life, but where do you start? Your world has thousands of possibilities that are waiting to be explored. Find out how you can discover your possibilities by tuning in to Fresh Start with Sue Williams Braun. Midlife is a turning point in your journey. It's a time to take off the blinders and find what has meaning for you. Our guests include experts and inspiring people who are making their middle years count and will inspire you to do the same. Fresh Start airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. There are 13 unbreakable habits of truly enlightened people. These life-changing habits are discussed on Dream the Life, Live the Dream with Dr. Yomi Garnett. We'll offer an excursion in self-discovery, along with wisdom that will allow you to stay on the correct path toward your destiny. You can find excellence in your life. Tune in every Thursday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, that's 10 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for this exciting transformational journey. When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own Mighty Gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. We have Doug Pitt here, and we're following up on all his philanthropy and him climbing Kilimanjaro. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to you more about the care to learn. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very drawn to that. Um, and so tell us a little more about it. Well, I do a lot of work in, in Tanzania. And uh, part of that um, is obviously having to raise money for our water projects. And one of the greatest things that we can do is um, – or the, I, I should say the greatest ability that we have is to utilize something like Kilimanjaro, one of the most epic, iconic things of all of Africa. It just happens to be in Tanzania. So we do climbs, and uh, we host them, and that's the way that we raise money. Uh, the, the bad thing is you have to climb it to raise the money. So it's uh, it's tough. I've done it twice. Is it is it uh, is it enjoyable? You know, um, I can't. It's, um, I guess, you get a lot of time with the people. So uh, I'll just say this. If you're going on that trip, find people that you enjoy uh, spending a week with because you're going to get a lot of time with them. Um, it's it's arduous. It's tough. Um, I don't know that I would call it enjoyable, but the experience is great. Once you get to the top, any any pain goes away. It's uh, one of the most incredible, beautiful sights ever, period. Yeah, I I. It's funny. I hadn't I hadn't thought of the. Um, I thought people did it because they just loved climbing, loved, uh, you know, the idea of getting to the top. But I hadn't thought about the fact that 
you might not actually enjoy it. It's more about the, it's more about getting to the top and uh, not the journey so much. It's tough. It's uh, it's a long journey, but uh, no, it's it's great. It's um, it's you know it's one of those things that uh, we're we're cool to have in our pocket. So. My business partner and the guy that runs World Serve International, our charity, you know, he's had to do it five times, so he's getting a little worn out with it, but well, it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's so dangerous, really. You know, oh, no, think, it's really not. It's oh, not. it's not? No, I just know that being that high, I mean, I've, I've hiked up like 11,000 feet, and I was trying to think of what it would be like, you know, I was so, I mean, I was having a little trouble breathing, you know, I can't even imagine... It's almost twenty thousand feet, right? Um, yeah, it's actually. Let's see. I should know that off the top of my head. Um, it's uh, it's not. You don't need oxygen, and it's a non-technical climb. So it that part, and really, till you get to the very top, where there's a uh, obstella, there's a ridge there, and it's really rocky, and you got to kind of pay attention. You could actually. That's the place you could get hurt. I would say hurt, hurt. Uh, outside of that, really the dangers are the embolisms and the you know uh, issues with climbing too fast. And uh, when people get sick, we don't play around. We'll always have EMTs and and medical people that travel with us and life flight helicopter helicopters on standby. And you do you pay attention, but those guys are pros. As soon as somebody gets sick, uh, they say the best thing they can do is get you down. And they do quickly. So. We don't play around. There are it can be very serious, but from a technical um, climb, it's not. Yeah. Okay. That that must. That's why people take bronchodilators to with for so the keep the blood flowing. Because one of my friends, he uh, he didn't make it the first time, and then the second time he took bronchodilators to keep the blood flowing to his brain. That's basically I how have, he explained it. I have had uh, triathletes not make it, and I've seen a sixty-year-old. You know, moms make it so just there's no rhyme or reason how you're going to you know how your body's going to uh, respond and that's one of the things just try to be as prepared as you can but uh, that's kind of how it works you know i saw that one of your things you did in africa um early on was with the convoy of hope yes i've done a couple different international trips with them did you meet did I, i actually had rex bornman on a few um, shows back. Did did you meet him on that trip? Say that again. Did you meet Rex Bornman? He had. He was involved with the convoy. Name, no. Oh, okay. Uh-uh. Well, um, that was Hunger Missions in Budapest and Portugal. That sounds so cool. Yeah, it was cool. It's a great organization. Well, I noticed that um, that you are teamed up with World Serve International, and your company in the beginning was called Service World. Right. Yeah, kind of weird, huh? Yeah, that's really just that's really amazing. Yep. Yeah, kind of sounds like it was meant to be <laughs> or I guess something. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask you about care to learn a little bit um, because it, you know, it works with kids in your area um, for funding for child health, hunger, and hygiene. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely, uh, I mentioned earlier, some things choose you, and this is definitely one that did. Um, I was about seven or, I guess it'd be eight years ago, I was hearing about poverty in Springfield, Missouri, and I'm in southwest Missouri, and, um, you know, kind of middle America, Ozarks, whatever, and everybody has poverty, and, and but sometimes it's, it stays kind of hidden. And uh, I would say that's kind of what it was around here. I was very, very involved in my community, but I had no idea the extent of poverty went until I was at a chamber meeting and hearing about it and statistics. And I just started hearing stories, too, you know, three siblings sharing a toothbrush and a fifth-grade boy being made fun of. He's wearing his mom's jeans, you know, they have women's appliques on them. And, um and about that same time, the superintendent of the Springfield Public Schools had approached me just, you know, their funds are allocated. They can't pull out $15 to help a kid if they wanted to. And he was wanting me to help get a fund together so they could address some of these emergent needs. So just kind of as divine intervention or timing works, uh, within a week, you know, I'm talking to him about that fund. I'm at this chamber meeting hearing about poverty and students and kids in Springfield. And 
just one of those things. I drove around with it in my head for about a week, and I didn't know what we were going to do. I just knew we were going to do something and started raising money. And, and the idea is, and again, it kind of goes back to running it like a business. We're going to focus in on something here. You know, we're not going to be all things to all people. We don't do band instruments. We don't do field trips. We only do emergent health, hunger, and hygiene needs. And the website is care to learn fund. That's F-U-N-D dot org. So you can read about it. But the idea is kid shows up to school. Let's keep this really easy. A kid shows up to school with any health, hunger, hygiene needs. So it can be clothes, inclement weather, clothing, hats, clothes, I mean, gloves, galoshes, whatever, uh, food, food before school, food during school, food on the weekends, anything medical, uh, eyeglasses, dental, hearing aids, hygiene, prescriptions, transportation, and then my favorite, just being made fun of. That qualifies, like I said, the boy with the jeans. You know, if he's being made fun of for him, it qualifies. Let's get him fixed. Let's get the situation taken care of that day. They walked in without a, co- a coat. That day, they need to have whatever the solution is. Let's have a coat for that kid. And so they're completely anonymous behind the scenes. Um, and really, we have two questions that we ask. Is it keeping the child out of the classroom or is it disrupting the classroom experience? If the answer is yes to either one of those, fund it. There's not even a value proposition. If it's a $3 meal, fund it. If it's a $3,000 hearing aid, fund it. And that's, um, you know, here we are now. We've got 20 chapters around the state of Missouri where every chapter is a school district. And I'm, I'm, I don't even know exactly where. I think we've funded now close to 500,000 needs and now into our seventh year. So program's going great. Um, it's um, I'm, no question one of the, the biggest life-changing things I've ever experienced. And you've experienced a lot. That's a lot to say. I, I hear it. And I, you know, it's, I was thinking when I started reading all about this, has anyone ever done this before? Um, you know, we, we did, I, not really, not like our business model. I mean, there are a lot of people that do what we do. I think uh, really our secret sauce has been in the way that we have our business model in that we do keep it pretty simple. We're pretty militant on our, on how we did this. We're pretty diligent on how we run it as a business. So we have a lot of metrics things that, again, what is a 501c3 status? It's a tax designation. But for some reason, we get in our brain that these charities, you know, it's okay to run them off a shoestring and it's and it's okay to run, you know, kind of second-class business, if you will. Well, absolutely not. We've got to have a return. We've got to make money. We've got to be, in fact, more responsibility because I'm spending somebody else's money. You as the donor, uh, I've, I've got to protect your money and i got to make sure we give a, we take care of it right. But and so we have, and I think that's been a lot of our success. And and right now, you give a dollar, we give a dollar. So we've worked with the business community to help support our back office needs, and um, that's the way it's been from day one. I hope to keep uh, going for the next seven or eight years. You know, I was reading about it, and, and it, it didn't really, you know, I was, <laughs> it didn't really hit a nerve in the beginning as far as uh, personal stuff, you know, and. Um, all of a sudden, I was reading about uh, the shoes. I think a kid didn't have shoes. I can't. I can't remember. Maybe it was watching on YouTube something about shoes. Um, and uh, I, I started realizing, you know, I'm I'm from a big family, um, lived in a pretty ritzy area of Little Rock, Arkansas. But we had a lot of kids. Okay, we had like nine kids in the house, and uh, and everyone else had like one or two in the neighborhood. And so uh, I I was the youngest, and I had four brothers next to me, and so uh, I had the I I wore hand me downs for my brothers, and I was kind of a tomboy kind of person. But I remember one year the girls, a few girls wouldn't let me in the girls' bathroom because the way I was dressed and my haircut. And uh, it's funny it popped in my head, and I thought, you know, I, I kind of know how that feels, but I, I didn't take it to heart too much. I had. Um, I just went in the principal's office and told them, and they they stopped it. But I just don't think I thought real deeply about that. But um, I do know that it happened to a lot of people. And so when the more I read, the more I thought, wow, it's funny because I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I think it made me pretty tough. 
<laughs> and so there were some good things that came out of it. But I, I just started realizing, you know, the more I read, you know, I was, I was a crisis counselor for the school districts. And uh, a lot of those kids come in in the morning and they haven't had breakfast. And they don't have the money for breakfast. And um, they don't have coats. A lot of them don't have coats in the winter. They usually have shoes, um, at least around here. But I thought, wow, what a great thing to be able to just call and, you know, call someone up right then and have them be able to bring something over for a kid, you know, I'm worried about. That would be so great for the staff. It is great for the staff. And we've heard, in fact, some of our school districts, a quarter of the burn rate or funding that we need for that year for that program is actually done through employee contributions who are mainly teachers. And uh, so I think that speaks to the program when you have that kind of institutional support. But you know, obviously, teachers are not compensated and, and uh, can't have the expectation on them that they can meet every child's need in their classroom. Um, so, one, we take that burden off of them. Two, their kids now come ready to learn. So we've heard that response that, you know, it's great when they show up and they're funded and, you know, we know that they're fed and they're clothed and just some of those life stresses are taken off these kids that they're more prepared to learn uh, they're more socially, they interact better with the other kids, and just a, a number of factors like that. And we've heard that from cooks. Um, the cooks love it. You know, a lot of times uh, certain school districts will have that uh, if you don't have money, you get XYZ meal, and now they don't, uh, they don't have to be the ones calling out the poor kid or if you don't have your money, you know, go to this line kind of stuff. Um, so it's, um, no, the faculties love it and I'm glad to be able to, to be that kind of support system for them. You know, obviously that's, we started this for the kids, but to see those kind of tangible results, I love it. And really, I told, just, I told my yeah. daughter about that, what you were talking about. I was hearing you talk about the grilled cheese sandwich that, or sack lunches that kids get. My daughter goes, she's 25. She said, uh, and where I she said, mama, our, my friends got an apple if they didn't have money. And I was like, an apple, that is not enough. And I didn't even know that. And so, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people don't realize. I also loved what you said when some, you said you hear people say, well, aren't you just, uh, you know, helping these parents be neglectful or whatever. And you said, who cares? I mean, the whole point is the kids and the kids didn't choose that. They don't choose that life. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, to some of the listeners listening to what the cheese sandwich meant, yeah, in our school district in Springfield, and, and again, they're just working within the system and funding that they have, and I'm glad that they had it. But if a kid shows up to school and didn't have any money, they got a cheese sandwich, which, you know, I'm glad they did. But who wants to eat a cheese sandwich every day for one? And two, you might as well have a sign around your neck saying, I'm the poor kid, because look at me, I got the cheese sandwich. So Care to Learn stepped in and said, no more cheese sandwich. Um, we're going to get every kid a hot meal. And we worked with the school district and, and helped until they got the funding, and then we backed out. And, again, um, that's where me as a business guy, I feel that uh, we can step up to the plate and be part of the solution to poverty. And just being entrepreneurial and innovative and figuring out uh, how to do things, but not at a kid's expense. And uh, so that worked. We got in, we got funded, and we got out. And um, I... We're looking for those opportunities every day. So if people want to know, you said the fund. Was it Care to Learn Fund? What was yes. the mm-hmm. website again? Um, and then you also yeah, have Care the, to Learn Fund.org. I noticed your website. Is it DougPitt.com or what is it? Right, my personal one. Mm-hmm. It has all the organizations that you help support on there, and they can click any of those links, right? You bet. Absolutely. Because there are quite a few. You have such a passion for yeah. kids. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's really three. Um, um, as a Goodwill ambassador for Tanzania, I work a lot with them, mostly in the water space and, and world serve, but in a number of different areas as well. And then Care to Learn, which you just heard. And, and really my third one is uh, Anactus. used to be called Students in Free Enterprise. And why do I love them so much? It's the fact they're one, they're in 32 countries, I believe, 1,600 universities, and serve about 60,000 students at any given time. But the whole premise is to teach kids, and I say kids, college kids, entrepreneurial skills and business skills. And then they have to create a business to help solve a social problem. And uh, it's, to me, again, that's the future. We've tried everything else. It's now time for the business community to step up and uh, help figure this out and be part of the solution. That's exactly what we're doing. We're teaching these kids through Enactus 
that business can be the solution, that you don't have to be the Mother Teresa or somebody, you know, just in a faith-based community or some, you know, in a charity, some other NGO uh, that are the ones trying to solve the problems, that the business people have a place at the table and often a very big one. One, we need the acumen taught. We need to understand the structure of running a company. But two, let's face it, what makes all this stuff move, it's money. And uh, we can dance around it all you want, but at the end of the day, you don't have the funding. We don't feed kids. We don't, you know, can't further the mission. So uh, you can find an actus through my link as well. Uh, read about it. I think they're phenomenal. You know, you gave a talk, a TEDx talk, um, and you talk about that, about the business model being used to further charities and social problems. And, um, it was it was really good. I think it was called technology. Um, oh, I can't remember. I did, but did that at the University of Missouri Columbia. Mm-hmm. That was DMU. I thought it was probably it was right. uh, it was so good. I I, I love the idea of it to take the business model, and I'm sure a lot of people have done that. But you have truly, when I look at everything you've done, um, done phenomenal with that, and now you're turning around with an actus and teaching how to do that. Again, I'm just one of many, 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 but uh, again, I just love the premise of what it does, that we're taking this next generation um, of kids that are they're a lot more socially minded than any other generation ever. They want to give back. They want to help. They want to be part of the solution, and you know, right now, they don't have the economic ability to do it, but they've got the want to. They've got, they'll have the time and the energy and, and honestly, a lot of the technology and smarts to help uh, accelerate these things, so... That missing piece is uh, the entrepreneurial and business acumen, and uh, that's that's what an actus does. That's wonderful. There's so much that you've done, Doug. I am, um, you know, the Africa well drilling is just one of the many things, um, which is what you mostly do in Tanzania is drilling the it drilling is. of it wells. Is. Yeah, we have uh, probably one of the larger private drilling companies in East Africa. We have five drilling rigs in Tanzania currently and then two in Kenya. The ones in Kenya are mostly in the Dadaab and refugee areas. So we yeah, we employ about 90 nationals based in Arusha, Tanzania. And, uh, you know, it's a full working company. Now, is that still the Ma- is it the Maasai tribe in Ma- both? There, there are literally over 100 tribes throughout Tanzania, and I think that's really why they're as peaceful as they are, because there really aren't denominant tribes per se. But yes, Maasai are very prevalent through northern, really Maasai Mara, but northern Tanzania and and southern Kenya. And um, it's, yeah, very, very prevalent. Wonderful, wonderful people. Well, and I I saw that um, TEDx talk on YouTube. And if if you guys could go see it, it's awesome. I I, I love the idea of them having the cell phones on their hip, yeah. even though they're in their tribal outfit. You know, yeah, and the way that they live. Funny <laughs> contrast, but it's uh, it's really it's revolutionized their lives and ability to communicate and stay in touch with family. Now, how long have you been into the biking? How long have you been a biker? You know, really not that long. Um, I would say kind of really not so the last five or six years, and uh, there's just something about it. I love mountain biking, and uh, I love biking, period, county, road bike, whatever, but just culturally, it's it's a, it's a great time, you know, and I'm 90% of it just by myself. It's my time to think and clear my head, and the fact I can do something fitness-wise, but be outdoors, and it's, there's a great community within the bikers as well, and that's been really fun too. That even in my own hometown, uh, just meeting a completely different set of people that I, I would have not normally done, and uh, there's just uh, it's all good, good, good. If if you're not into it, uh, I recommend you try it. Just get out there once, and you don't have to kill yourself. Have fun and uh, take it easy, and just learn to enjoy the sport. I just love biking, and we need you around here because uh, they've slowly gotten rid of the ability. I live out in out in a ranch area in Fort Worth, and the bikes have a uh, slowly gone away. So um, oh, seriously, the bike usually so, the other way around. They're building a lot of trails and paths. I know. And Tell me, communities yeah. are coming really. You know, that's the 
this younger generation, uh, they they want the lifestyle piece, and uh, a lot of that is court. That's why they're building bike paths and, and doing kind of a healthier living, and uh, that's a shame to hear. Most communities are becoming more progressive that way. Yeah, I have biked everywhere and biked to work since we've been out here in 98. I used to be on a bike um, bike tandem team in, uh, in Michigan and had a really blast with those crazy people. I mean, they are brave, brave, brave. But I got out here, and I, up until lately, I've had to stop biking because it's gotten so dangerous because they uh, just have kind of repaved and left off bike trails. So it's been a really bummer. So I was very excited to hear you were an avid biker. And, I uh, am. And so then there's the photo my pitch journals. about putting the te- the phone away. Texting's changed biking on the streets, and uh, that's it's become a lot more dangerous for that reason. So put your phone down. I heard about you texting and bike. I didn't even know. I never tried that. <laughs> I was like, that's not that's not safe, right? No, I'm talking about the drivers. Yeah, put your oh, phones away. Yeah. Um, you got bikers out there, and be careful. That's why it's gotten so dangerous. You know, it people. has. It's really dangerous. And so, yeah, that is so good to have you on. And I, I, I saw this list of awards, and um, I couldn't possibly believe how many. There were like 15 awards that you've won and uh, everything you've been involved in, and it's truly, truly amazing. And I'm so glad to have you come and talk with us today. It has just been a real wonder. Tell us um, the best way for people to get a hold of you if they would like to donate. Just go to DougPitt.com, and that, I have the different charities on there. You can read about them, and then through those links, uh, you can make donations to any of the three. And uh, I invite you to check them out. We've got some great work going on. I will do that. Thank you so much for being on, Doug. And you guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you back next week. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.